Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 19 through 20 and in the previous episode we read chapters 17 to 18. Now in the previous episode when we read chapters 17 to 18 um we we had a little heart to heart between Annabeth and Frank and obviously Frank was kind of also in the same position that Leo was actually in a few chapters ago where his self-esteem was kind of lowering and he thought essentially that he was kind of worthless but Annabeth had a good heart to heart with him and started explaining stuff about you know Leo and how you know sometimes he's just silly you know sometimes he's got a big mouth and he runs off his words but he doesn't really mean any of it so more of that, and then Frankie, and then starts to you know slowly get back up, and his spirits start to like um, get better, and overall he just feels you know cheered up. And then in the second part of the episode, we saw that uh, the girls, which is Annabeth, Hazel, Piper, uh, they were able to meet Aphrodite, and with Aphrodite came crucial information. Annabeth was trying to figure out what the mark of Athena was. And that brought her back to the memory of where she actually met Athena in the subway station. And Athena wasn't Athena. It was Minerva. Minerva, who actually seems a bit more depressed because in Greek form, Athena is the goddess of war. But in Roman time, Roman-ish mytholo- Roman-ish mythology, I believe it's Bellona who is the goddess of war and not Minerva slash Athena. And because of that, it, it sh- you can kind of see Minerva kind of being a bit dra- gloomy at times because she doesn't have the same role as she does being the goddess of war in Greek mythology. So um, when Annabeth met her, it was kind of frustrating to talk to her and almost ended up being an argument. So when she confronted Aphrodite about the mark of Athena, it essentially meant that uh, Annabeth had to find, I believe it was either Minerva's or Athena's statue. Um, But apparently, all of the Athena kids have been trying for centuries and have never been able to find it. So it's now up to Annabeth to be able to find that statue. So now we're going to continue reading uh, from Annabeth's perspective and see exactly what happens. Chapter 19, Annabeth. They didn't make it to the ship. Halfway across the dock, three giant eagles descended in front of them. Each deposited a Roman commando in purple and denim with glittering gold armor, sword, and shield. The eagles flew away, and the Roman in the middle, who was scrawnier than the others, raised his visor. Surrender to Rome! Octavian shrieked. Hazel drew her cavalry sword and grumbled. (laughs) Fat chance, Octavian. Annabeth cursed under her breath. By himself, the skinny auger wouldn't have bothered her, but the other two guys looked like seasoned warriors. A lot bigger and stronger than Annabeth wanted to deal with, especially since Piper and she were armed only with daggers. Piper raised her hands in a placating gesture. Octavian, what happened at camp was a setup. We can explain. Can't hear you, Octavian yelled. Wax in our ears. Standard procedure when battling evil sirens. Now, throw down your weapons and turn around slowly so I can bind your hands. Let me skewer him, Hazel muttered. Please. The ship was only 50 feet away, but Annabeth saw no sign of Coach Hedge on deck. He was probably below, watching his stupid martial arts programs. 
Jason's group wasn't due back until sunset, and Percy would be underwater, unaware of the invasion. If Annabeth could get on board, she could use the ballistae, but there was no way to get around these three Romans. She was running out of time. The eagles circled overhead, crying as if to alert their brethren. Hey, some tasty Greek demigods over here. Annabeth couldn't see the flying chariot anymore, but she assumed it was close by. She had to figure out something before more Romans arrived. She needed help, some kind of distress signal to Coach Hedge. Or even better, Percy. Well, Octavian demanded. His two friends brandished their swords. Very slowly, using only two fingers, Annabeth drew her dagger. Instead of instead of dropping it, she tossed it as far as she could into the water. Octavian made a squeaking noise, sound. What was that for? I didn't say toss it. That could have been evidence. We're spoils of war. Annabeth tried for a dumb blonde smile like, Oh, silly me. Nobody knew who knew her would have been fooled, but Octavian seemed to buy it. He huffed in exasperation. <laughs> you other two. He pointed his blade at Hazel and Piper. Put your weapons on the dock. No funny biz. All around the Romans, Charleston Harbor erupted like a Las Vegas fountain, putting on a show. When the wall of seawater subsided, the three Romans were in bay, spluttering and frantically trying to stay afloat in their armor. Percy stood on the dock, holding Annabeth's dagger. You dropped this, he said, totally poker-faced. Annabeth threw her arms around him. <laughs> I love you! Guys, <laughs> Hazel interrupted. She had a little smile on her face. W we need to hurry. Down in the water, Octavian yelled, Get me out of here! I'll kill you! Tempting, Percy called down. What? Octavian shouted. He was holding on to one of his guards who was having trouble keeping them both afloat. Nothing! Percy shouted back. Let's go, guys. Hazel frowned. We can't let them drown, can we? They won't, Percy promised. I've got the water, water circulating around their feet. As soon as we're out of range, I'll spit them ashore. Piper grinned. Nice. They climbed aboard the Argo II, and Annabeth ran to the helm. Piper, get below. Use the sink in the galley for an iris message. Warn Jason to get back here. Piper nodded and raced off. Hazel, go find Coach Hedge and tell him to get his furry hindquarters on deck. Right. And Percy? You and I need to get the ship to Fort Sumter. Percy nodded and ran to the mast. Annabeth took the helm. Her hands flew across the controls. She'd just have to hope she knew enough to operate them. Annabeth had seen Percy control full-sized sailing ships before, with only his willpower. This time, he didn't disappoint. Ropes flew on their own, releasing the dock ties, weighing the anchor. The sails unfurled and caught the wind. Meanwhile, Annabeth fired the engine. The oars extended with a sound like machine gunfire, and the Argo II turned from the dock, heading for the island in the distance. The three eagles still circled overhead, but they made no attempt to land on the ship, probably because Festus the figurehead blew fire whenever they got close. More eagles were flying in formation toward Fort, Fort Sumter. At least a dozen. If each of them carried a Roman demigod, that was a lot of enemies. Coach Hedge came pounding up the stairs with Hazel at his hooves. Where are they? 
He demanded, Who do I kill? No killing, Annabeth ordered. Just defend the ship. But they interrupted a Chuck Norris movie. Piper emerged from below. Got him a message through to Jason. Kind of fuzzy, but he's already on his way. He should be... Oh, there. Soaring over the city, heading in their direction, was a giant bald eagle, unlike the golden Roman birds. Frank, Hazel said. Leo was holding onto the eagle's feet, and even from the ship, Annabeth could hear him screaming and cursing. Behind them flew Jason, riding the wind. Never seen Jason fly before, Percy grumbled. He <laughs> looks like a blonde Superman. This isn't the time, Piper scolded him. Look, they're in trouble. Sure enough, the Roman flying chariot had descended from, the, from a cloud and was diving straight toward them. Jason and Frank veered out of the way, pulling up, up to avoid getting trampled by the pegasi. The charioteers fired their bows. Arrows whistled under Leo's feet, which led to more screaming and cursing. Jason and Frank were forced to overshoot the Argo II and fly toward Fort Sumter. Oh, get him! yelled Coach Hedge. He spun the board ballista before Annabeth could yell, Don't be stupid! Hedge fired. A flaming spear rocketed toward the chariot. It exploded over the heads of the pegasi and threw them into a panic. Unfortunately, it also singed Frank's wings and sent him spiraling out of control. Leo slipped from his grasp. The chariot shot toward Fort Sumter, slamming into Jason. Ambeth watched in horror as Jason, obviously dazed and in pain, lunged for Leo, caught him, and then struggled to gain altitude. He only managed to slow their fall. They disappeared behind the ramparts of the fort. Frank tumbled after them. Then the chariot dropped somewhere inside and hit with, hit, a, hit with a bone-shattering crack. One broken wheel spun in the, into the air. Coach! Piper screamed. What? Hedge demanded. That was just a warning shot! Ameth gunned the engines. The hull shuddered as they picked up speed. The docks of the island were only a hundred yards away now, but a dozen more eagles were soaring overhead, each carrying a Roman demigod in its claws. The Argo Second's crew would have been out, would have been outnumbered at least three to one. Percy, Annabeth said, "We're going to come in hard. I need you to control the water so we don't smash into the docks. Once we're there, you're going to have to hold off the attackers. The rest of you, help them guard the ship." But, Jason, Piper said. Frank and Leo, Hazel added. I'll find them, Annabeth promised. I've got to figure out where the map is, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who can do that. The fort is crawling with Romans, Percy warned. You'll have to fight your way through. Fight your way through. Find our friends, assuming they're okay. Find this map and get everybody back alive, all on your own. Just an average day. Annabeth kissed him. Whatever you do, don't let them take the ship. And that's the end of chapter nineteen. Wow, that was certainly a power-packing. Even if it was short, it was such a. It was certainly a power-packing chapter, and. I still like to uh, figure out how exactly Octavian and his bandmates were able to track down exactly where the group of seven were, which is kind of interesting. But you know what? That's a question for another time. Maybe we'll get an answer in a future chapter. We'll have to see. Um, after this break, we'll read chapters 20. And uh, before we go into the break, I'd like to add that any uh, features or any music that you may hear on um, this, on you know, during throughout these episodes, uh, they are available on the Anchor app. That is A N C H O R. Anchor. Uh, they provide all of this music and everything. So if you guys really enjoy the music, I suggest you download the app to go check it out.
So now that I've said that, uh, we'll go right into this not break or non-existent break. Uh, you guys can take a break if you want. Um, but don't go anywhere, because uh, right after this break, we're going to read chapter 20 and see how this girl boss Annabeth is going to do. And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 20, Annabeth. The new civil war had begun. Leo had somehow escaped his fall unharmed. Annabeth saw him ducking from portico to portico, blasting fire at the giant eagle swooping down on him. Roman demigods tried to chase him, tripping over piles of cannonballs and dodging tourists, who screamed and ran in circles. Tour guides kept yelling, It's just a reenactment! Though they didn't sound sure. The mist could, do, could only do so much to change what mortals saw. In the middle of the courtyard, a full-grown elephant, could that be Frank? Rampaged around the flagpole, scattering Roman warriors. Jason stood about mm, 50 yards away, sword fighting with a stocky centurion whose lips were stained cherry red, like blood. A wannabe vampire or maybe a Kool-Aid freak? As Ambeth watched, Jason yelled, Sorry about this, Dakota! He vaulted straight over the centurion's head like an acrobat and slammed the hilt of his gladius into the back of the Roman's head. Dakota crumpled. Jason! Ambeth called. He scanned the battlefield until he saw her. She pointed to where the Argo II was docked. Get the others aboard! Retreat! What about you? He called. Don't wait for me! Ambeth bolted off before he could protest. She had a hard time maneuvering through the mobs of tourists. Why did so many people want to see Fort Sumter on a sweltering summer day? But Annabeth quickly realized the crowds had saved their lives. Without the chaos of all these panicked mortals, the Romans would have already surrounded their outnumbered crew. Ambeth dodged into a small room that must have been part of the garrison. She tried to steady her breathing. She imagined what it would have, would have, been, it would have been like to be a Union soldier on this island in 1861. Surrounded by enemies, dwindling food and supplies, no reinforcements coming. Some of the Union defenders had been children of Athena. They'd hidden an important map here, something they didn't want falling into enemy hands. If Annabeth had been one of those demigods, where would she have put it? Suddenly, the walls glistened. The air became warm. Annabeth wondered if she was hallucinating. She was about to run for the exit when the door slammed shut. The mortar between the stones blistered. The bubbles popped, and thousands of black spiders swelled forth. Annabeth couldn't move. Her heart seemed to have stopped. The spiders blanketed the walls, crawling over one another, spreading across the floor and gradually surrounding her. It was impossible. This couldn't be real. Terror plunged her into memories. She was seven years old, alone in her bedroom in Richmond, Virginia. The spiders came at night. They crawled in waves from her closet and waited in the shadows. She yelled for her father, but her father was away for work. He always seemed to be away for work. Her stepmother came instead. I don't mind being the bad cop, she had once told Annabeth's father, which she didn't think Annabeth could, could hear. It's only your imagination, your, her stepmother said about the brothers. You're scaring your baby brothers. They're not my brothers, Annabeth argued, which made her stepmother's expression harden. Her eyes were almost as scary as the spider's. Go to sleep now, her stepmother insisted. No more screaming. The spiders came back as soon as her stepmother had left the room. Annabeth tried to hide her under the covers, but it was no good. Eventually, she fell asleep from sheer exhaustion. She woke up in the morning freckled with bites, cobwebs covering her eyes, her mouth, and nose. The bites faded before she even got dressed, so she had nothing to show her stepmother except cobwebs. 
which her stepmother thought was some sort of clever trick. No more talk of spiders, her stepmother said firmly. You're a big girl now. The second night, the spiders came again. Her stepmother continued to be the bad cop. Ameth wasn't allowed to call her father and bother him with this nonsense. No, he would not come home early. The third night, Ameth ran, ran away from home. Later at Camp Halflet, she learned that all children of Athena feared spiders. Long ago, Athena had taught the mortal weaver Arachne a hard lesson, cursing her for her pride by turning her into the first spider. Ever since, spiders had hated the children of Athena. But that didn't make her fear easier to deal with. Once, she'd almost killed Connor Stoll at camp for putting a tarantula in her bunk. Years later, she'd had a panic attack at a water park in Denver when Percy and, her, and she were assaulted by mechanical spiders. In the past few weeks, Annabeth had dreamed of spiders almost every night, crawling over her, suffocating her, wrapping her in webs. Now, standing in the barracks at Fort Sumter, she was surrounded. Her nightmares had come true. A sleepy voice murmured in her head. Soon, my dear, you will meet the weaver soon. Gaia? Ameth murmured. She feared the answer, but she asked, Who? Who is the weaver? The spiders became excited, swarming over the walls, swirling around Annabeth's feet like a glistening black whirlpool. Only the hope that it might be illusion kept Annabeth from passing out from fear. I hope you survive, child, the woman's voice said. I would prefer you as my sacrifice, but we must let the weaver take her revenge. Gaia's voice faded on the far wall. On the far wall in the center of the spider swarm. My bad about that. Uh, on the far wall in the center of the spider swarm, a red symbol blazed to life. The figure of an owl like the one on the silver drachma, staring straight at Annabeth. Then just as in her nightmares, the mark of Athena burned across the walls, incinerating the spiders until the room was empty except for the smell of sickly, sweet ashes. Go, said a new voice, Annabeth's mother. Avenge me. Follow the mark. The blazing symbol of the owl faded. The garrison doors burst open. Annabeth stood stunned in the middle of the room, unsure whether she had seen something real or just a vision. An explosion shook the building. Annabeth remembered that her friends were in danger. She'd stayed here much too long. She forced herself to move. Still trembling, she stumbled outside. The ocean air helped clear her mind. She gazed across the courtyard, past the panicked tourists and fighting demigods, to the edge of the battlements where a large mortar pointed out to the sea. It might have been Annabeth's imagination, but the old artillery piece seemed to be glowing red. She dashed toward it. An eagle swooped at her, but she ducked and kept running. Nothing could possibly scare her as much as those spiders. Roman demigods had formed ranks and were advancing toward the Argo II, but a miniature storm had gathered over their heads. Though the day was clear all around them, thunder rumbled, and lightning flashed above the Romans. Rain and wind pushed them back, and but didn't stop to think about it. She reached the mortar and put her hand on the muzzle. On the plug that blocked the opening, the mark of Athena began to glow. The red outline of an owl in the mortar she said of course she pried at the plug with her fingers no luck cursing she drew her dagger as soon as the celestial bronze touched the plug the plug shrank and loosened ambeth pulled it off and stuck her hand inside the canyon cannon her fingers touched something cold smooth and metal she pulled out a small disc of bronze the size of a tea saucer etched with delicate letters and illustrations 
She decided to examine it later. She thrust it in her pack and turned. Rushing off, Reyna asked. The praetor stood ten feet away, in full battle armor, holding a golden javelin. Her two metal greyhounds growled at her side. Annabeth scanned the area. They were more or less alone. Most of the combat had moved toward the docks. Hopefully her friends had all made it on board, but they'd have to set sail immediately or risk being overrun. Annabeth had to hurry. Reyna, she said. What happened at Camp Jupiter was Gaia's fault. Eidolons, possessing spirits, save your explanations. Reyna said. You'll need them for trial. The dog snarled an inch forward. This time didn't seem to matter to them that Annabeth was telling the truth. She tried to think of an escape plan. She doubted she could take Reyna in one-on-one -on -one combat. With those metal dogs, she stood no chance at all. If you let Gaia drive our camps apart, Annabeth said, the giants have already won. They'll destroy the Romans, the Greeks, the gods, the whole mortal world. Don't you think I know that? Reyna's voice was as hard as iron. What choice have you left me? Octavian smells blood. He's whipped the legion into a frenzy and I can't stop it. Surrender to me. I'll bring you back to New Rome for trial. It won't be fair. You'll be painfully executed, but it may be enough to stop further violence. Octavian will be satisfied, of course, but I think I can convince the others to stand down. It wasn't me. It doesn't matter. Reyna snapped. Someone must pay. For what happened, let it be you. It's the better, better option. Abbott's skin crawled. Better than what? Use that wisdom of yours, Reyna said. If you escape today, we won't follow. I told you, not even a madman would cross the sea to the ancient lands. If Octavian can't even can't have vengeance on your ship, he'll turn his attention to Camp Half-Blood. The Legion will march on your territory. We will raise it and salt the earth. Kill the Romans, she heard her mother urging. They can never be your allies. Annabeth wanted to sob. Camp Half-Blood was the only real home she'd ever known. And in a bid for friendship, she had told Reyna exactly where to find it. She couldn't leave it at the mercy of the Romans and travel halfway around the world. But the quest and everything she'd suffer to get Percy back... If she didn't go to the ancient lands, it would all mean nothing. Besides, the Mark of Athena didn't have to lead to revenge. If I could find the route, her mother had said, the way home. How will you use your reward? Aphrodite had asked. For war or peace? There was an answer. The Mark of Athena could lead her there. If she survived. I'm going, she told Reyna. I'm following the mark of Athena to Rome. The praetor shook her head. You have no idea what awaits you. Yes, I do, Ambit said. This grudge between our camps, I can fix it. Our grudge is thousands of years old. How can one person fix it? Ambit wished she could give a convincing answer, show Reyna a 3D diagram or a brilliant schematic, but she couldn't. She just knew she had to try. She remembered that lost look on her mother's face. I must return home. The quest has to succeed, she said. You can try to stop me, in which case we'll have to fight to the death. Or you can let me go, and I'll try to save both our camps. If you must march on Camp Half-Blood, at least try to delay. Slow, Octavian, down. Brina's eyes narrowed. One daughter of a god war goddess to another. I respect your boldness, but if you leave now, you doom your camp to destruction. Don't underestimate Camp Half-Blood, Annabeth warned. You've never seen the Legion at war, Reyna countered. 
Over the do- over by the docks, a familiar voice shrieked over the wind. Kill them! Kill them all! Octavian had survived his swim in the harbor. He crouched behind his guards, screaming encouragement at the other de- Roman demigods as they struggled toward the ship, holding up their shield as if that would deflect the storm raging all around them. On the deck of the Argo II, Percy and Jason stood together. Their swords crossed, Annabeth got a tingle down her spine as she realized the boys were working as one, summoning the sky and the sea to do their bidding. Water and wind churned together, waves heated against the ramparts and lightning flashed. Giant eagles were knocked out of the sky, wreckage of the flying chariot burned in the water, and Coach Hedge swung a mounted crossbow, taking pot shots at the Roman birds as they flew overhead. You see? Rana said bitterly. The spear is thrown. Our people are at war. Not if I succeed, Annabeth said. Rena's expression looked the same as it had at Camp Jupiter when she realized Jason had found another girl. The Praetor was too alone, too bitter and betrayed to believe anything could go right for her ever again. Annabeth waited for her to attack. Instead, Rena flicked her hand. The metal dogs backed away. Annabeth Chase, she said. When we meet again, we will be enemies on the field of battle. The Praetor turned and walked across the ramparts, her greyhounds behind her. Annabeth feared it might be some sort of trick, but she had no time to wonder. She ran for the ship. The winds that battered the Romans didn't seem to affect her. Annabeth sprinted to, through their lines. Octavian yelled, Stop her! A spear that flew past, past her ear. The Argo II was already pulling away from the dock. Piper was at the gangplank, her, out, her hand outstretched. Annabeth leaped and grabbed Piper's hand. The gangplank fell into the sea, and the two girls tumbled on the, onto the deck. Go! Annabeth screamed, Go! 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 The engines rumbled beneath her. The oars churned, the, and Jason changed the course of the wind. And Percy called up a massive wave, which lifted the ship higher than the fort's walls and pushed it out to sea. By the time the Argo II reached top speed, Fort Sumter was only a blot in the distance, and they were racing across the waves towards the ancient lands. And that's the end of chapter twenty. This seems it seems very, very short chapter, very short episode, but it was it was just as action packed as compared to any other chapter and i feel like i do kind of feel a little bit of pity for reyna because you know reyna and annabeth they really were getting it going they were honestly i think they were getting into a groove and essentially they could have been friends but because of that incident that gaia had stirred up you know reyna completely lost her trust and trust in anybody i don't i it makes you wonder whether reyna will ever have trust in anybody ever again and it's exactly like that line mentioned in the book where it's you don't know if Reyna is ever going to have trust in anyone else because of the amount of time she's been betrayed and has ta- and people have taken her trust for granted. You know, at some point she'd get tired and I think this was her breaking point. And I wouldn't really blame her for it given her past events. But other than that, I think that this was certainly a very power-packing chapter. This was certainly a great chapter. Um, and yeah, other than that, uh, I hope you guys also enjoyed the episode. And I hope. Uh, and if you guys really like this episode or like this podcast as a whole, stay tuned for the next episode. And if you'd like to social, so show, so show some support, um, the link to my Patreon is in the description of my podcast. You can go ahead and take a look there. Um, but other than that, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed this episode once again. And until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.